If you have ever experienced rape or sexual assault, this episode is for you. My guest, Michael Ward, was raped and later sexually assaulted by the same perpetrator. A few years later, he endured sexual assault again, this time from a man he was in a relationship with. With no real support from family or other gay friends, these experiences caused Michael to take a long, hard look at his life and the choices he was making. At one point, he even considered taking his own life. Instead, he got creative in ways to feed his spirit in a manner that would ultimately lead him to seek professional help with a trauma counselor. Today, Michael has made great progress on his journey of healing and is following his passion of empowering marginalized communities. Hello, Michael Ward. I am so thrilled to have you as a guest on the Authentic Gay Man podcast. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been very excited for this. Yes, I've been excited as well. And I think that the the discussion, the story that you're going to share today is going to be a really great story for the listeners. I'm very excited about this. It's a heavy story, but it's a great story. Absolutely. Um, So Michael and I, like most of the other guests so far, met in a large online group. Uh, we've known each other for maybe about a year, and um, unless you have anything else to add about that, Michael? Yeah, so I guess I'll just start by telling a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Michael, as Maddox said. I am originally from uh, Tennessee. I'm from a small college town, and the university would be the only thing that would bring you there. Um, I'm now currently living in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, I am in the military, and that's what brought me up here. And, yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, let's dive right in. So before we get into your topic, I'd like to know, what does being an authentic gay man mean to you, Michael? Mm, Yeah. Uh, to me personally, I think it's just loving who you are. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I feel like um, there's so much our community puts on us sometimes of like, you know, dressing a certain way and having living a certain lifestyle. And I think it's simply just loving you, whether that be you're this, you know, country gay man, you're more of an urban gay, whatever it may be you we all have different interests and hobbies and that's okay and being uh confident about that and uh not uh dimming your light to uh appeal others you will find your tribe by being your most authentic self oh that was it ding 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 that last sentence was epic i Mm -hmm. love it say that again please Yes, you will find your tribe by being your most authentic self. I couldn't agree more. Wow, mic drop. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so tell me, Michael, what has been the biggest challenge in your life that you are have overcome or are in the process of overcoming? Okay, so 
the biggest challenge that I have overcome, and that would be um, my sexual assault that ultimately ended my last relationship. Um, and it was such a tragic time, mainly because um, just because it wasn't the first time, this was my second time. Uh, I was also raped in 19 uh, and sexually assaulted by the same man that uh, raped me at 19. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a very uh, traumatic experience, mainly because um, for the first time in my life, I had moved across the country. I was so far away from family, and I feel like it was a growing time um, simply because of the fact that I really had to learn how to stand on my own two feet. Um and standing alone if I had to. Um, I was not in a very supportive uh, work environment uh, to where I could go and report that, just mainly because I watched two other sexual assaults get dusted under the rug. And so I- um, Now, Michael, are you, are you referring to the first one at 19? Uh, this would be um, in Alaska, yeah, and I'll go into the uh, the rape in one in nineteen here in a bit. Okay, okay. But um, yeah, I um, so I was like I said I was in a very toxic work environment, um, and so you know it was also what kind of and tying this into the nineteen year old experience was because this was the second time that this. Um, I had been sexually assaulted and I was just like, you know, I think what made it such hard because it was like, what am I doing wrong? What's making me unlovable? Um, you know, because I felt like I was a respectable person. You know, I was spoken about my boundaries. Um, you know, I ultimately, I, you know, I did think there was some communication errors and that is ultimately what led to that situation that I recently talking about now overcome and also just the trauma, relieving that trauma of being, um, you know, raped and sexually assaulted by the same man, um, which is a different occasion, the one that happened up in Alaska. Uh, but just because, uh, yeah, I had to really, uh, take care of myself. You know, because uh, at 19, you know, I really couldn't talk about it uh, just because um, of the situation that I was in. You know, I was young. I had been partying and doing some things that I should have been. But ultimately, um, the individual, uh, when I was 19, took advantage of me and took me around back and had his way with me. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a tough thing to get through uh, just because I think also because at the time I was so naive, you know, at 19, I'll be honest with you, Maddox, there was really no education for me about what to do in case sexual assault or rape happened or harassment or whatever. So, um, you know, I, Michael, I'm, I'm not sure there's still much protocol for that. I, I don't yeah. know, even in this day and age, if there is, I haven't been exposed to it, how to handle what to do should that come up. I, it's a topic that we, we avoid. 
This yeah. is a topic that we just avoid as gay men. We don't talk about this because it's uncomfortable. It makes us uneasy. And, mm-hmm. and so there's not really a lot out there about this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think um, something that I think is so important, you know, it's like there's so much out there talking about like how not to get sexually assaulted or raped, but there's not really anything out there that we discuss about fostering an environment to prevent that ever happening in the first place. And um, yeah, you know, because especially up in Alaska, what happened the second time, you know, it was just kind of like, I, I guess, cause it, it was just like a one being that I was really shamed for speaking up for myself uh, by my peers. Um, and, and were these you know, peers I, gay or straight? The peers that shamed you. Gay, all gay. They were gay and they shamed you for speaking up about your assault. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I tried to like confide and I'm, you know, it was more or less made to feel like I should have been the one apologizing. And so, um, yeah. And I will say for the first time, um, I really found myself suicidal, uh, which and being the closest I've ever been on that uh, brink of making a decision. And that was, and there was a lot that kept like, I thought like, oh, I can breathe. And then like, just, just reopen that wound. And it kind of pushed me back to that brink. And so um, three things that I say that really saved me personally was prayers. Um, Cause I was like praying to God. I was like, God, please do not allow this be the way that I go out in this world. I mean, just let it be old age. I'll be so happy if it's just old age, whatever. But, um, second would be music. Uh, so, um, I am Southern. So I, um, went back to my roots, if you will, and listened to like country music. And also I went through other genres as well that helped me sort of cope with that and get through that situation. And then lastly, I will uh, say that going back to my roots, I went back to Tennessee back. uh, I went home for a month uh, just because I was like, I need to get out of this toxic work environment that was not being supportive and was not creating a supportive environment. And a lot of other things, too, you know, because it wasn't it was an environment that wasn't very inclusive as well. So. I will also say during that time, it's where I learned how to speak up for others and other marginalized communities, uh, just because I was being shunned for speaking up for others. And so, yeah, so I went home for a month and I just spent the whole month uh, capturing everything that I loved about home, because I know by the time in Alaska, I definitely missed home a lot, uh, just because, um, like I said, I felt like I was on my own. You know, I mean, sure, I had friends, whatever, but uh, the job I have, you know, I don't have a typical Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five type schedule like they did. So a lot of times I was a loner. And so um, and also feeling like I couldn't express that. So I um, yeah, so I went home for a month and I did everything that I loved. I I went and saw uh, one of my personal favorites, Willie Nelson, in concert along with Allison Krauss with my aunt, and that was an amazing concert. 
I just took pictures. I did all the things that uh, did feed my soul. So like being out in nature, I went to state parks, um, uh, went down yeah, to Nashville, met friends, and I captured just those special moments that I cherish so much. And I think ultimately the little things that I did miss about home. And that's what healed me in a way. And so that's truly um, amazing, Michael. I I, I want to kind of just be with that for a minute. And, and yeah. uh, you know, the fact that in the midst of, of crisis, you stepped back and thought about how can I feed my soul when my soul feels like it's being ripped out of me? How can I feed my soul? And you very carefully selected ways yeah. to do that. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't know that I will. I have to wonder how many of us in that in that same situation would have come to that that place of of, of choosing to do that. I I think that's phenomenal. I, I and I want to acknowledge you for that. You know, you you took some responsibility for your life and your experience. That's beautiful. I, I want to back up a little bit, if we could. Yeah, yeah. When you talked about speaking out about the the sexual assault and your gay friends shaming you, I mean this this podcast is largely about you know how we become more authentic and vulnerable, so we can draw really quality relationships to ourselves. And I don't mean just romantic. I'm talking about relationships in general, whether it's family, coworkers, friends, neighbors, what, whatever. And I, I want to know, you know, how it how it affected you, how it landed when your so-called friends didn't support you and and shamed you for speaking out about your assault. How did you navigate and deal with that? Oh God, it I mean, it was it was shock. I was just like, this is such a legitimate issue. And um, you know, I, it, I just unfortunately it hurt. And I there was I don't know, I guess I don't know how to explain. It. There's something in me just like Michael, just keep pushing forward, keep getting through one more day, and just don't allow this moment to tear you down. Cause essentially what I <clears throat> for the ones that did shame me, I just said, Okay, now I know who's in my corner. You know, mm-hmm. so yes. uh, yeah. And so yeah. I just uh yeah, and I mm-hmm. and I continued to um pull from those sources. Uh, to help me get through those things, those hard times, you know? So, yeah. And well, it, it's know, funny. In, in moments like that, you, we, we, we all in moments like that learn who our friends are and who, and who are not our friends. So those people that shamed you, that didn't support you, what did you do with them? I've, for many of them, I'm not even friends with anymore. I've deleted them on social medias, blocked them. Um, phone numbers, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just said, okay, this is, this is, I, you know, I should be turned up to know that like, look, like don't go back to what poisoned you and what um, brought you down. You know, that's basically just me killing myself. And so 
I, yeah, yeah. I don't talk to him anymore. And the friends that I still have in Alaska who, um, who were very, who were supportive and loved me still. And we still keep in contact with, um, yeah, they're still wonderful individuals and I keep in contact with today. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you had to go through hell to get there, but that experience helped you define your tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it cleared away the unnecessary clutter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and of course, you know, it's kind of funny because the things that I pulled from, you know, I, I say going back to my roots, well, you know, it's so weird because essentially that was the part of me joining the military was to escape where I was from, you know? So, but then it came back and it was sort of kind of like a nest, if you will. And so, uh, just security and all that. And so, yeah. So I guess we'll go fast forward. I moved to DC. Well, but before we move on, I still have one or two more questions. When you had the assault back in, in your, your age 19, Mm-hmm. Did you talk to your family about it? Did they know about it? No, no, no. I know my family didn't know about it. Um, well, I guess back, yes, I did discuss it. Um, and um, and there wasn't anything like, they were very heartbreaking. Uh, but... We'll just say a family member of mine, um, when I um, confided, or let's say they found out about it through, I know another family member. Um, the response was, well, men rape men too. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> and so... I, um, this was your family. If that was their response was men rape men too. Yeah. 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 No compassion. No, 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 no. I mean, and honestly, I didn't really put it out there. I'd kind of said it kind of randomly or whatever. Um, and yeah, no compassion, no compassion whatsoever. So I, just moved on with life and um and I in a way I feel like I kind of buried it because honestly afterwards I just uh as, as I recall you know I kind of went through life I just put a smile on my face said you know what this is what's happened I'm gonna move forward and I'm stronger because of it because I overcame it and so yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely a very um it I, I it was a hard time maybe because I was living by myself too in this time and you know, I was young and wild and uh cuz I grew up in a very ultra conservative and sheltered um strict household. So when I got out, I mean, it was just kind of like a bull being released out of a corral you know i was i was buck wild there for a while for sure so i got all my wildness out of me you know but i um yeah i mean thinking about it you know i really i think also i just buried it 
Honestly, yeah, I, I, I buried it. I didn't think about it. And I just, uh, I moved forward because honestly, like being, cause this was, I was living by my hometown still and my hometown's not that very big. And so, you know, at the time I was working a lot, I was in school, I was going to school off and on. I didn't really know what I want to do with my life. So I was going to school for multiple de- uh, degree plans. Um, and, uh, you know, I dated, I dated, uh, but a lot of times where Cookville was so small and, um, I will say I have, I met some very bad people <laughs> during those times. Uh, a lot of times I would date, you know, in Nashville and just drive down there, meet the guy that I was seeing and, um, but unfortunately, it never could work out just because I was working so much going to school. I didn't have time to really um, invest in that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was a very, very lonely time. Well, you 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 said a couple of times that you feel like you buried it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever sought out any professional help with this issue? Okay, so that's fast forward here. So, um, yes, yeah, so I said so I came to DC. Um, I was so broken spirited. I was broken hearted. And after that last sexual assault, I was really on a journey of just finding myself like, who is Michael Ward? And um, so, I was here for about six months. I went on a, on a deployment and honestly, it was a great thing because it got me out of that toxic environment. Um, I was with a wonderful group of people that I uh, will forever um, cherish and many I'm still friends with today and follow through social medias. Uh, of course, the military wall over the place. So social media is our connection, but we chat and whatever. Um, and I, yeah, it was so wonderful just because I met some great people. Um, they, they breathed some life into me as well. Just being about, just being a uh, good people and making some awesome friends. And so I, um, how I, and it led to me and my initial, uh, connection with gay man thriving. And so I, because I was talking about a friend and I was just like, um, who I know from my hometown. And I was just like, you know, I'm really frustrated with dating. I just feel like I'm making myself presentable. Um, I have, you know, great qualities and characteristics. You know, it's like, what's up? And so he just like invited me to join this group called Gay Man Thriving. And so I, um, did my initial phone calls um, and did one of my first programs with them. Uh, but then um, it was um, with um, a woman named Nicole uh, Gangloff. And she um, was added to the group as one of the mentors and, gui- and guides. And so I ch- chatted me on Facebook and I checked her page out and I kind of just you know, like, you know, you would get a new friend, you kind of stalk their page maybe a little bit because you would get to know them. And I just saw this post where she has um, counseling, uh, training, whatever you want to call it, 
on sexual assault and sexual healing. And I was like, uh, this is what I need. Because even after the deployment, I felt like um, I was stronger, but I still felt like in my heart, I needed some glue to hold me together. And so, um, yeah, so I took it upon myself to reach out to her and discuss my situation. And I worked with her for a year. And she uh, she did wonders for me. Uh, we, you know, she did a lot of open discussion. Um, her approach to counseling, um, essential oils is one tool she used, and meditation. And so, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, so it's not her. buried anymore, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It just all came out. And she, uh, she, she, uh, you know, the thing about therapy is that it can be good. It can also be so painful too, because, um, so much comes up and you're like, wow, it it makes you realize there's so much that you have not addressed. We're, we're often called to look at so many things that we don't want to look at or have never looked at. Yeah. And so very challenging. Yeah. And so now I'm a much happier man. I'm good. I'm healed. And uh, I feel like I'm more confident than ever uh, through the gay man thriving, uh, through the help that it's provided and her. And so, yeah. So, Michael, as you've done your work, what would you say has been the biggest shift for you? What what was it that got you to the other side of it? And what has come about in your life as a result of doing your work? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, the shift would be that I became a stronger, more confident person. Um, and I was unapologetically me, and that's I'm like a word. I'm Southern. I um, I'm a gay man, and that's okay. Uh, and I know for me, especially one thing I've seen is in finding my tribe in like friendships. Um, you know, I have found people gay and straight that do align with my values and share my viewpoints and um and support me and want to see me succeed and that's something that um something i I never felt like i really had um until here you know there's just I mean, I had friends in Alaska for sure, but I mean, we hung out and we hung out some, but I just feel like here has been where I found uh, a solid group of men that are just incredible individuals and uh, not only challenge me to be better, either professionally, because um, like for me, one thing is also I'm getting an education uh, because I've, as I say, finally figured out what I want to do when I grow up. And that's going to be social work, uh, just because I want to um, we'll just be the change uh, that I want to see, which um, 
one being um, helping building some bridges between law enforcement and minority communities, because as we've seen, uh, there has been some big tensions there. And so, and also seeing um, those type of discrimination within law enforcement and how we can create um, a working relationship, a loving relationship between these communities to understand each other, to where as cops, they can truly protect and serve their communities more efficiently, uh, professionally, um, and um, start healing those ones between those communities. Because unfortunately, a lot of this, um, this is not all of a sudden, this has been going on for, in some cases, for centuries. Uh, and also, um, getting back to my home region. So, because eventually I do want to go back to Tennessee and uh, make some change down there. Because, because um, you know, it's like I said earlier. You know, it's funny because my roots are what actually healed me, and but that's also what made me run away because I was so frustrated with all the bigotry and small-mindedness that is the American South. Um, and so I just said. I wanted it to be part of my social work just because I just said, Michael, either you can bitch about it or you can be the solution. And so I'm going to get my education done and I'm continuing to educate myself. Um, some recent um, opportunities have fallen to my lap, which have been great. Um, and also some people in my work, uh, work life have really, um have helped me grow even stronger um as a soldier and as a human being and uh i'm so grateful for them so yeah well I, i'd like to call out that one of the things that i'm seeing here and i want the the listener to really pick up on this is you know w- when we have trauma or wounds that we're having to deal with the focus has to be on us. Mm-hmm. It has to be on us. But there is a point, and, and one of the ways we know that we have done our work, at least to some degree, we'll always do our work. Our work doesn't end until we take our last breath. Yeah. But one of the ways that we know we're on the right path and we're, and we're farther along the path is when we realize that we're being drawn to focus on others rather than on ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. when there's work to be done, you focus on you. But when you get some of the work under your belt and you get some of the healing done, then there's this natural emergence that happens, I believe, where we want to help others heal, whether it be individuals or community. And that's what you're describing here. Mm-hmm. You you said something of few moments back that I kind of want to touch on again, and you made reference, I'm paraphrasing, you made reference to, um, how did you word it? To be unapologetically you. Mm -hmm. And I would love to have you unpack that a little bit and, and tell a little bit more about how that showed up when you, when you became more unapologetically you, what did it look like? What did it look like? What did it smell like? What did it taste like? Mm, yeah. So 
I think for me, especially moving out of my home region, I know I got really, um, I actually got called like a racist white southerner. They just assumed that that's what I was. And one part of my, I think, uh, I say my journey, but also my travels, my adventures and meeting new people is also breaking down some of those preconceived notions about uh, southerners. Uh, just because I've had a lot of those notions directed at me personally, um, either being said or through action. And, um, and also too, because I will say, you know, the military has most certainly made its strides in helping marginalized communities, but there is still so much, uh, work to be done, you know, because I will say that I've, I've experienced some of the strongest forms of discrimination and bigotry in the military, but it's also where I have found some of my biggest advocates. Um, and so, um, yeah, yeah. And being apologetically me is also just um, being a person that loves others, uh, just like I said, you know, I was really shunned for speaking up for others. You know, I really um, have had my eyes opened to uh, how women are treated in the workplace and what sexism and misogyny looks like and sounds like, what racism looks and sounds like, because I've seen some very blatant forms of that. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, here where I'm at now, I feel like it's kind of more found to be charming and people want to know more about where I'm from. And um, and I, I feel like here it's a little more widely, widely accepted uh, just because of the area that I'm in, because um, I feel like there's more of a scene here. There's actually a bigger demographic. Um, and so... Yeah, and I have found and I found some wonderful advocates in the military too. So, um, yeah, I think just being authentically me is just, yeah, I'm Southern. Uh, I love myself. I, I loving my accent. That's one thing I even struggle with as well. Because admittedly, before I left the South, I wanted to. Um, I uh, when I said to myself, when I go to my first base, I'm going to go to like a speech therapist, whatever, and just have the individual erase it and not have one at all <laughs> and so um yeah just truly loving every aspect of myself yeah i love it that is absolutely beautiful so i'm a little curious you've talked about kind of uh you're you're being drawn to address marginalized communities you mentioned women you mentioned um people of color you know that racism and misogyny were the words you used. And I would love to know what has drawn you to those causes. What, what did you experience in your life that drew you to take a stand and, and, and want to be in support of those marginalized communities? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, just because, you know, speaking up, it didn't make me popular at all whatsoever, but I, you know, especially, you know, the one thing 
you know, it's just interesting is that a lot of women, when they um, experience harassment or because um, one thing that unfortunately is so unfortunate with women is that their value is how hot they are. And they're pretty much one thing I learned from day one is that women cannot win an award or get a promotion without some rumor being started that they have slept with some man to get that promotion, not because they worked hard or they studied. That was just it. And so uh, that also led to me also being shunned by straight males uh, just because I wasn't necessarily part of the good old boys club. Um, and also because a lot of people from those marginalized communities have really been um, a shelter uh, for me and a safe haven. So, you know, one thing I think all gay men can agree is that usually our biggest friends are heterosexual women. And so in the military, though, it has actually been predominantly black women um, and have been some of our most fierce protectors and advocates and uh, have not let anyone mess with me. And so, um, yeah, yeah. And also just seeing some of the gaslighting, because uh, usually when I see a person of color, you know, call it out, um, I will say it is white, cisgender, heterosexual males uh, that try to gaslight them, thinking like they're crazy. Even they made me feel like I'm crazy. I'm just making it up. And um, I will go further to say that it is that ultra conservative Republican type male as well. And so, uh, yeah, and also because I'll speak on experience of an individual that really had an impact on my life. Um, a gentleman, um, his name is uh, Lakeith Manson. And so I um, went to Honor Guard and to explain what that means, that's military lingo. Uh, that is you providing military honors um, for funerals for a, a military member that has uh, passed on. Um, and it was such an awesome opportunity. I loved it so much. And so um, what made him so great was um, because I think he tried to see my humanity. And that's something that I never imagined because um, for me personally, you know, my two biggest perpetrators have been ultra conservative, white, uh, cisgendered, heterosexual males and straight black males. Um, and so that was actually the first time in my life in honor guard where I found myself working under an all colored administration. Um, but it was truly the most uh, beneficial time uh, with my trainers and the leadership there because they, uh, especially him, especially we had we've had conversations um, and about things, and uh, they said we are going to make you as we said Air Force Air Force strong, make you a um, a honor guardsman with precision, with professionalism. And because when I went into it, you know, I felt like, uh, my career was, you know, getting to be very stagnant. I, I didn't know because I, I'm not really in a job I want to do. So, which is what I'm working on and getting to a career that I want to be in. 
Um, and this breathe that those time being there breathed life into me about just being in the military and uh, gave me um, a new lens, if you will, about uh, why I'm doing this. And which, of course, is for a lot of patriotic things of serving your country. Um, and that this can truly be a beneficial uh decision because there for a while I just thought God I just feel stuck um I didn't know where I wanted to go with my career because that's actually why I joined as well was to get unstuck out of my small town where there was really no opportunities anyway and um yeah it, he he was he was truly a um a role model for me uh you know uh because he really challenged me and said yes you can you can do this and so I sort of spending myself like winning awards. Um, uh, he instilled drive back into me again. And, and, you know, he doesn't make it easy for me, but he uh, definitely pushes me. And that's wonderful. He, he held space for you and believed in you when you couldn't believe in yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's really a wonderful. powerful to have a, an advocate on our, an ally or an advocate on our side like that. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. true, true, um, very fortunate to have had that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for him and we still keep in touch and um, yeah, he's still just a mentor and so about questions. I'm like, Oh God, how do I go back through this? And, you know, and he's even said, you know, Michael, you've given me more, um, self-growth and how I can be a voice for equality for you and help stand beside your community. And, um, you know, and I've definitely been outspoken on my social medias about, um, you know, racism and calling it out. And um, I did a, well, I lost it on my last um, Instagram, but I did a, a video from Martin Luther King Jr. Day about talking about my journey of being an ally to uh, BIPOC individuals and um, just some tips on how to go about that. Because I think some people, um, especially in the center country, even though we know this has been going on for a while, I think these last two years, we've really been having a reckoning with that. And so I think a lot of people are like, well, how do I start becoming anti-racist? How do I help these communities and lift them up? and make it where we are are all equal and we're creating a more equal and equitable society. And so um, I definitely took time to share that and, um, and just being completely honest about it. Sounds like a passion to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Well, what would you like to share with the listeners about if if there's listeners out there that have been through something similar to what you've been through, mm-hmm. right? The sexual assaults. What would you like to share with them as a result of that experience and the journey that you've made since that those experiences? What would you like to share with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what I like to share is as you're going through the process of healing and finding yourself again is finding what heals you 
you know, so many people pull from like their faith. Um, like for me, especially it's like being out in nature, you know, I, there's something, uh, just medicinal about it, you know, just being out and bringing that fresh air, the silence, um, I know especially even more so now, particularly from the hustle and bustle of the city. Um, and yeah, find what heals you, whether it be just, you know, music, prayer, uh, that's, I think that's what saved me was going back to things that fed my soul and nourished it. And also, um, getting yourself environments that help, um, progress that healing and finding those people that, you know, that you come across that say, Hey, I see you're going through this, but no, this is not where your journey ends and you have a bright future ahead. And, um, and we'll give you those words of encouragement. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Michael. I really yeah. appreciate your, your, your very openness with um, very tender moments of your life. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hope helps help somebody out. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what it's all about. So are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Oh boy. I don't know what to expect. So here we go. <laughs> all right. What is the one thing that you most wish you could change about the gay male community? Oh, God, that is a big question and a good question. Um, I think the way we eat each other, and I know there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, you know, I think ultimately it's the bigotry and hatred that we receive, which is a lot of homophobia. And also keep in mind, for listeners who are of the heterosexual community, that the LGBTQ community, we truly are such a huge demographic of people. And so we come from different faith groups, racial ethnicities, and what have you. So a lot of what is considered discrimination in those areas applies to one of us, not all of us, but one of us. And so, yeah, I wish we would I wish we wouldn't be teaching a competition with each other, you know, uh, you know, because I know, especially here, like in D.C., it is so brutal. There is a lot of classism and elitism. And, uh, you know, like, because, for example, like I live in the Virginia area because a lot of people don't live actually in D.C. They can live like in Maryland or whatever, you, you know, like to certain, you know, D.C. people like I'm like trash. And so I think one thing I've always said is that we don't have to be best friends, but we should all be a brother to each other and support each other and know that we're all going through the same thing in one way or another. And that ultimately, I think that's what the oppressor wants is us to be, you know, divided and we should be more unified and learn to just uh, understand each other's quirks and hobbies and likes and dislikes and walks of life. And because I know for me, when I've leaned in, especially to uh, understanding others, it's made me a more compassionate person and uh, a more open-minded person. Beautiful. Well said. Very well said. What is the one thing that you clearly need to take action on in an effort 
to be a more authentic gay man? Oh, gosh. Um, something I need to work on. One hmm. thing. I think sometimes, you know, especially, and I think social media has something to do with this too. And I've gotten very good about pushing them away when they want to come is just, as we call it in gay man thriving, those gremlins. I've always wanted to like compare myself sometimes. And I, it, it's something I definitely, I will say that I am currently working on and I've gotten better at. So um, I just realized that, you know what, this is not my path. This is not my life and that's okay. And so what I've done to beat those gremlins is create a life that I want, that I'm proud of the hobbies that I enjoy and just doing what I love. Awesome. I love it. Many years from now, you're a ghost at your own funeral. (laughs) What would you like for the other gay men to say about you at that funeral? Your survivors. God, what a deep question. Um, I think something I like people to say is that just talk about the impact that I made in their lives. You know, um, if I helped them get through something, if um, how I was a shoulder for them to lean on, um, talk about things they love about me. um, And um, hopefully share something that they can take away from me that they can um, encourage others, like be more like Michael, take this strength of his and apply it to your life. And until the day that you take your last breath. I can feel your compassion and empathy. It's it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) Well, Michael, It's been a complete pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. I so appreciate your willingness to be so open with your story. Yeah. And uh, I want to leave you with one thing. Okay. I want to tell you that I do see you as an authentic gay man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I'll tell folks what I said about you before. Because I was, I told uh, you before we started recording and all this, I was like, I was really excited to be on your show because you were one of my uh, favorite people. Uh, We met originally during like a um, gay man thriving retreat. And I was just like, he is just like such a classy individual. I was like, I could get on his level. (laughs) I just thought you were so well spoken. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I am receiving that.